refers to the reality of um, the forgiveness of God, the healing the hand of God, and the wonder of God throughout our groups this morning. And now um, we've been singing about that for the past half hour. Um, we are at a place of desperation for the presence of God, for the passion and heart of God, for the healing hand of our God. And I am just praying as a church that we believe what we have been singing for the last um, 30 minutes or so. That healing is in your hands, God. The love of God in Christ cannot be plumbed. The death cannot be sought. They can be pursued, but they cannot be fulfilled because you can pursue the highest of death and the wisdom of God and never come to an end with the love of God in Christ Jesus. So we're, we're just praying that we will be a people who will pursue the presence of God with our hearts, soul, our mind, our strength in a season of extraordinary unrest in our nation. That they will, that those who are in the place of great unrest, and that is many of us, that there will be a people of God who have found great rest and great hope in the name of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And that was a really good moment for us to say we're agreeing with that. And we're praying that the church of God is, is truly the hope of the world. And so, before I advance forward and thinking about the presence of God and the reality of God, the hope of God that we are seeking among us, I would like to just welcome him. We've already done that for a while. I just want to do that before we move into a teaching session. So, um, would you join with me in this prayer? Father, we are wholly and completely dependent upon you. Some of us have not fully recognized that of ourselves at this moment. And so, Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit will be so good as to come and rest among us and to draw us to a complete and utter dependence on you. And the scripture that comes to mind is the first scripture that I would love to read today. And I just believe that you long to do that here, but we can do nothing by ourselves. That apart from you, we are nothing in of ourselves. That Father, you are the front behind, we are the branches. And it is we find the marrow of life in and through you, that God, we will truly live in the midst of your presence and your presence then becoming a reality in us and through us. And so God, I pray for us this morning that we will be a people who are desirous of experiencing you and of allowing that to be a place of holy rest in a world that is in great unrest. And so Jesus, teach us about yourself today. I pray that the echo of today would be not the songs that we were singing and not a pastor who was preaching, but God, I pray that the echo would be a, a verse just a few moments ago. There is no other name that stands among us and commanded to save Jesus. And so Jesus, to yourself this morning, draw us to yourself, draw us to you, compel us to depend upon you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. I would, I would love to spend the rest of the summer, by the way, it's so good to see you guys. It's, um, we've been away for a couple of weeks, but I love looking at your faces and considering what God wants to do among us. And I want to spend the next seven weeks of the summer just talking about the presence of God. And, uh, and I want to talk about that in a tangible way. There's a visceral study for me in my own life for about 25 years now. Um, experiencing God, and I would love 
to spend the next seven weeks just talking about the truths of the presence of God and what it means for us as a people of God to experience him. I had no idea when I wrote this message um, three weeks ago uh, how much I would dive into it this week. And I've personally been studying through the book of John while we were away, just allowing that book to saturate our hearts. And guys, I don't know if you're if you're, I don't know that any of us are fully cognizant of the depths of our need for the gospel and our desperate desire for the Spirit of God among us, that we, are, we have nothing apart from that. And I, I long for us to experience the presence of God in a mighty and profound way, and I did not fully appreciate how great our God is in drawing me to this passage and to write this sermon with um, no understanding of the desperate need of this day. And, and what God is doing. As I, as, I was, um, as I was reading about 12 years ago uh, in preparation for a seminary class that I was going to be teaching in, um, in, Central, in Central Asia, I was given about four or five books to read to prepare for this moment. And, um, and one of those books began to tell a story. It's a book by Bill Hybels, and, and it just captured my heart. Bill kind of told this this way. He said, I was sitting in a seminary class, and for those of you that have been to seminary, you might um, relate to his experience. He said, I really went in understanding there were some tasks to be done, some things to be completed, and some expectations to be met. And that was about the extent of my um, understanding of what I would pursue in this class until I began to sit in this class and have my heart undone and my mind and soul just seared for the hope of the presence of God. And the reality of God, he said, my professor stood up with me and did, if any of you have, or all of you that have been to college or seminary, you've heard this, they walked through the syllabus, here's the things we're going to do. And he said, he closed his book and then began to just pour out his heart. And he shared his heart in this way about the presence of God among the community of believers. It was a vision that he said captured his heart. It was not a vision that was elevated or lifted from the mind of a professor. It was lifted from the second chapter of the book of Acts, verses 42 through 47, and carrying on as God birthed his church. And as he said of his church, you will be and experience first the manifest presence of who I am, and then you will live and flesh this out as you walk this earth. He said his professor began to talk about the church in this way. There was once a community of believers who were so totally devoted to God that their life together was charged and infused with the presence and the power of the living God. So this community was a band of followers that they believed in the living God in such a manner that there was a radical love of God that fell among them, and it was tangible, it was experienced, and it was expressed. They took off their mask, and I believe as we study together in, in small group this morning, this is so applicable this moment, they took off their masks and they lived in the context of biblical community. All that every one of us would be able to experience and have as we sit in this room and look around us, Nathans in our lives who would willfully, intentionally, and strategically share life with one another, taking off masks and saying, we must experience the presence and reality of the living God. Because in doing so, the reality and presence of living God began to touch lives. They laughed, 
They cried, they sang, they laughed, and they shared together in true and authentic Christian fellowship. Not let's get dressed up and go to church, but let's come as we are for the sake of who he is so that he might emanate and make his life well known to and through us. I love this thought in light of what's going on in our nation in the last weeks. Those who had more shared with those who had less so that socioeconomic barriers just went away. People related in ways, as you look at the early church, that bridged racial divides. In a time of an extraordinary caste system, This church said, we want to demonstrate the hope of the presence of the living God. And in doing so, we will see people groups from every walk of life gather together and they will cry out in a room of 120 and the spirit of the living God will fall among them so that all of these languages and peoples and skin colors and beauty will lift their voices as one and understand one another as one for the sake of the living God. This is the reality of the birth of the church and the hope that God has for his church as it gathers in 2016 among a greatly divided and broken nation right now, simply saying, oh God, that your presence would be so real that there would be this microcosm, this place of the kingdom of God, this place of hope among us as we gather here and that people might look in and they might be enthralled by a church and a people after God's heart so that the divides of race and gender, they fall away. There is one people, one hope, one God, one baptism. There is neither male nor female, neither slave nor free. There is one group here who looks at the cross and says, your grace is enough, and we love you, Lord. They celebrated with joy and they united across cultures. Acts 2 tells us that this community of believers, the church, it offered unbelievers such a vision of life that they clamored for it. It took their breath away, and they were enamored by this. It was so bold. May we say this of us, I am asking you as we engage and begin to talk about experiencing God for the next seven weeks, may there be a boldness in our faith, a boldness in our church, a creativity among us, a passion of heart among us, that our creativity, our boldness, our passion, our dynamic is irresistible because people come and say, we're seeing something so ridiculous among you. We must know what it is. And we simply look at them and say, it is the presence of the living God manifest among us. Your amen apparently was broken for two weeks. Acts 2.47 says, this is what happened as a result. And this is my prayer for the church. As they looked among the believers and saw this, please go and read. Don't just think, oh, this is, this is, this is a professor just simply saying, it's like, read Acts 2, this is what I see, and this is the byproduct. And to, to their number daily, there were added those who weren't just saying, we like that church or we like those people. They were added to those who say, we are falling in love with their Jesus. And we are coming to his cross. 
And we are coming to his resurrection, and we are dying to ourselves. We are picking up our crosses, and we are following him. And we are disciples of his. And daily, day in and day out, people were being rescued out of the domain of darkness and placed in the kingdom of the Son of God. That is the outworking, as I read of the New Testament church, of the inworking of the presence of the living God. I want to read. You're welcome to join with me in John, the 15th chapter. I'm going to be in several verses in the book of John. In John 15, verse 5, he simply says, in context of this extraordinary speaking of Jesus, as he has just, just had incredible moments with his disciples, they walk out into a vineyard, and he begins to talk with them of the sufficiency of God and the need for the presence of God. And he says, I want you to understand, I am the vine, and you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. But here's the reality. Apart from me, you can do nothing. It's my prayer that our hearts will be stirred for the presence and the provision of God. And we will move along and say, oh God, we want your presence here. We want to experience you. And the first principle or truth that Henry Blackaby shared with us of experiencing God and experiencing the presence of God is this, this simple reality, this simple principle, and this simple truth. God is always at work around you. He is doing work around you. He is moving and living and breathing around you. His life is expectantly moving around you. And it is your role and your privilege and your opportunity to join with God in his work. And I think there are three simple things that I would love for us to consider as we talk about this idea that, God, we long for your presence so that this boldness of your spirit, this creativity of your presence, and this wonder of who you are, God, it speaks to us in here. And it makes itself known in here so that, Father, as we throw open the doors, or more importantly, as we throw open our lives and we walk into this world where there is extraordinary polarization on the political scale. I don't know if I can handle the next several months. Where there is extraordinary pain and suffering as we are experiencing racial divide in our nation. Oh, Father, that we would, first of all, as your church, feel the gravity of this. And secondly, as your church, understand the hope for which we have. And that as a third as your church, we will walk into this world as peacemakers, as people of the kingdom of the Son of God. And we will make known the presence of the living God in this world that is desperately looking for peacemakers. So I just long for us to pursue this idea that, God, you are at work, that I cannot do this myself, but I can remain in you. And what I would love from you, Father, is much fruit of your spirit, of your presence, of who you are. I think the first thing is I consider that God is always at work around you is that you should just know this, that God knows who you are and he is very aware of where you are. And that's, that's important. One of the greatest miracles I think of scripture is that God does know us and I could spend hours just on this simple truth and reality that God knows who you are and he knows where you are and he has placed us if you will according to scripture exactly where we are for such a moment as this and that gives me a sense of first urgency and a sense of 
God calling to say, Father, you, first of all, have not been surprised that I'm placed in this church today. Uh, You're not surprised that I'm placed in this community today. And you're not surprised that I'm placed in this particular time for such a time as this to be the people of God, seeking the presence of God and manifesting that presence among a world that desperately needs to hear it. God, you know where I am. You know the intimacy that you long for with me. As God spoke to the people of Israel, I I love this scripture, the Lord bless you, and the Lord keep you, and the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face to you and give you his presence and his peace. To turn your face to someone is powerful. It is, is their wholehearted, undivided attention. God knows where you are. He is at work. He is moving in your life and bringing his face and his presence toward you. It is to say wholeheartedly, I am here with you. It's not what we experience most of the time in life. It's not what I experience a good portion of time as I'm communicating where you're kind of saying I'm half in and half out. Or when I'm sitting down and talking with someone and they're like, got their phone. This is not a, I've got my phone in my hand and I'm your God and I kind of care about you, but I really don't care at all because I've got this person going on over here. This is not what he's saying. He's saying, my face is wholehearted devoted to you. And my face is moving toward you and I know you and I know where you are. Here's what he's saying. I have nothing else to do and I have nowhere else that I would rather be. I want you just, if you could, to just envision that picture of the reality of God at work around you, to know he's sitting in this moment, coming individually in this room and corporately to us as a body and saying, there's nowhere else that I would rather be. I know we were singing at the hymn earlier. I think he was singing it back to us. There's nowhere that I would rather be than here in your love. There's nowhere that I would rather be than looking at you and my face shining upon you, but your face shining back upon me. There's no place that I can imagine. And not only is his face, his face turned toward us, it is shining on us. And I just, just carry that a bit further. To shine on you is delight. Our Lord is delighting upon you. I did not put this in the notes, so um, a screen out there. This isn't there. I love Zephaniah 317, where it just says, I rejoice over you with singing. I delight in you with my love. I know who you are, and I know where you are, and I am meeting you here, and I want you to know that I find delight in you as your face finds delight in me. This image of delight is most manifest for me. I, I think of several venues, and I won't just jump into all of them, but I, our face shines when we are watching that person that we love the most. We're watching one of our kids as they break out and playing that extraordinary moment that they have been rehearsing forever, whether it's on a ball field or behind a piano. Our faces, as a mom or dad, they are just alive with wonder. One of the most powerful moments for me as a pastor, I get the privilege of doing weddings, and I, I see this idea of face shining and the face turned to that. I, I know that the entirety of the room turns to the bride when the bridal recession comes down, the procession comes down. Everyone turns and looks at the bride. I have the greatest place in the entirety of the room because most typically I am standing directly beside the husband. 
And it is rare, no offense to any of the women in this room, that I look at the bride because if you want to see a face that is shining and maybe for a microcosm in time, a picture of this verse as our God looks at us, it is that moment when the bride opens the doors or those for her open the doors and they swing wide and the song begins. I rarely or if ever experience a moment when the face of the groom is not fully alive, weirdly contorted, with tears running down their face going, I can't believe this gift. Are you kidding me? It is a face that is shining in delight. There is no place. I have never stood beside one who was texting while this was going on. <laughs> never. I mean, there's just this, I am so alive in this moment. And I love that image. The bride of Christ crests the door, steps into our lives and says, here is my life. I will robe you in it. I know where you are. I know who you are. I am becoming who you are. I will robe you in who I am and I will cover you in my grace. And I just think we should be looking at that. And much like Moses, when he stood in the presence of God, he walked back down. Not only did God in his grace and in his glory have his face to shine upon him, but I love this thought as we step into the world with creativity, with boldness, and with passion. Our faces, because we have sat in the presence of God who knows us and loves us, our faces are radiating as we walk out of here, but more importantly, as we walk along the road day in and day out for the sake of the glory of God. I long for us as a church to turn our face to the bride of Christ and to say, there's no place I would rather be. And that was not a song. I want to be in your love. And I want to be known by your grace. Oh God, that we would delight in you. No one has ever known you like Christ. You should ponder that. I think that's actually on the screen if it's there. No one has ever known you like Jesus. He sees tax collectors in sycamore trees and looks at them and says, I know you, and I want to bring you to myself. He sees a woman desperate for healing, or more importantly, senses her passion and says, I know you. He sees a widow that no one else has seen with a generosity of spirit that no one else around her has and says, I know you. He saw children when no one else even gave credibility to children. And he even said, not only do I know you, you should be like them, you grown-up, jaded people. Your heart should cry as a child, God, know me. He saw when friends sought important places and said with gentle reminders, the most important place will be the place of servitude in this world. There's no one who has known us like Jesus. I love the God of Scripture as we quote David this morning and when he says, Lord, you have searched me and you have known me. And God, your life and your heart is of immense interest to you. 
And because it is true, search me again, try me, and form within me the character of who you are. Not only does God know us, he's the center player, he's the centerpiece of his plan. If God is at work around us and we're saying, God, we want your presence to move around us, he's the centerpiece. So don't allow this fact that he knows you to move you into this place of extraordinary importance right now. He's the centerpiece of his plan. You say that three times. It didn't go well the first time for me. He's the centerpiece of his plan. That's the story that God wants to have written. He knows, he acts, he, we join. He knows us, he formed us, he's the centerpiece. Isn't that the pattern of scripture? No, I'm going to do something vast in this world. Build a boat. Moses, I'm going to liberate a few million. Come along. Peter, I'm going to build a church. Go pray. Hundred and twenty of you, my spirit is going to fall. Go and wait. We're going to be powerful for us as a church to move and say, God, you're the centerpiece of the story. Abraham said these, I'm on the move, God, move with me. And he said, No, no, I'm on the move, move with me. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, I so value this encounter that Moses or that Moses, that Abraham had with the Lord when he said, How do I know to move with you? The Lord said to Abram, Leave your country your people, your father's household, go to the land I will show you. And then if you're reading on the screen, he gives him some promises. Here's what Abram knew about moving with God. I'm not sure where I'm going. I'm not sure what it's going to entail. I'm not sure who's going to be impacted, but I'm pretty sure. In fact, I am fully aware that God, you have called. So here's what I'm doing. I am packing. I am in. Here we go. It is your story that is unfolding. Could that be plausible among us? As a church to say, God, you're the centerpiece of the story. You know me. You have formed me. You have gifted me to speak into this world in this moment, in this time. Oh, Father, I am packing and I am ready. I'm not physically packing, although some of us may. I am just literally packing my heart right now with this reality. Yes, I want to move with you in the center of your story. Abram walked, it says, according to Scripture, by faith and by, by not by sight. This is the pattern of Jesus. I, I love, it's found in John, the fifth chapter, verses 17 and 19 and 20. This is the pattern of walking in the heart of the will of Christ. And I just am moving toward closing. I hope you will hang in and just listen to these verses. In John chapter 5, verse 17, Jesus said to them, My Father is always at work. God's always at work around us. He knows us. He knows who we are. He is the centerpiece of the story. And Jesus said, my father is working to this day. And I am working in verses 19 of 20 of verse chapter 5 of the book of John. Jesus gave them and said, I'm telling you the truth. The son does nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing. Because what the father does, the son does also. For the father loves the son. And he shows him all he does. And yes, to your amazement, he will show him even greater things than these. He's looking at at a group of people and saying, if you will follow me, if you will pack your bags with me, my dad is always working. It's not a mystery to me what I'm going to wake up and do tomorrow. I'm going to know his heart. I'm going to pursue his face. And I'm going to walk in his glory. And this world is going to be impacted as a result. 
That is the pattern of Christ. The pattern in Scripture is coming on the screen now, as Henry Blackaby wrote, is this, is that we submit ourselves to God. Then we wait until God shows us what he is about to do. Or we watch and see what God is already doing around us, and we join him. That's the pattern of God. You, here's some great news. You don't have to sit in a service and listen to a pastor and come up with a good plan for God. Listen to what Jesus said. My Father is always working. And as I attune my life to Him, you're going to see even more amazing things because I'm not the one having to conjure the work. My Dad, my Father, the Heavenly Father, God is always at work around us. And he's the centerpiece of the story. So I began where I ended. He's always at work around you. Always. He's always moving. To live a God-centered life, you focus your life on God's purposes, not on your own plans. And that may be a bigger sentence than we can fully wrestle with today. And in fact, it's worthy of laying before the Father. To be able to say to God, I want to live a life that is centered in your presence means we look at God and we say words like this, God, it's not my will but yours. Not my plan but yours. Not my purposes but yours. And so God, I am laying my heart down before you and saying your purpose, your plan. Seeking our perspective and situations will become extraordinarily distorted. I, I enjoyed this sentence. I appreciate this sentence. Someone asked, Mother Teresa, what she saw as she walks streets of Calcutta among the poorest, of the poor, among the orphan, among the starving. And I love her words. Among those who were dying as she walked the streets, she said, here's what I see. I see Jesus in distressing disguise. I think that's powerful for where we are in this day. I had no idea three weeks ago that that sentence would have the profundity that it has today as we prepare to walk back out to the doors, click on the news channels, and or walk with many who have so many questions. I see Jesus today in distressing disguise, and I long to walk with the Father and to bring the fullness of Christ into a world desperate for hope. Oh, God, that we would do that. I, I wonder then, how does this happen? And so I, I close with a simple story from Scripture found in John, the ninth chapter. In the first verse, it's just such a powerful statement for, oh, God, how do we, how do we mobilize for this? I think this is a simple four or five words. As Jesus went along, as Jesus went along, he saw a man who was blind from birth. I see Jesus in distressing disguise. The words in nine, chapter 9, verse 1 of the book of John, as he walked along, he saw a blind man from birth. Here's the first miracle of that story. Here's maybe the first miracle that could happen among us today is that we actually see someone. I walk among many people throughout every day of my life that are hurting. Here's the irony of the story. If you want to know the end of the story, read John chapter 9 and carry on through the story. Jesus healed him. He's been blind since birth. He's been there for 30 or 40 years. And once he was healed, no one recognized him. There is a world of hurt, if you will, around us that, that abounds among us every day of our lives. And we are walking by them every day. And someone will be 
Be a people who sees Jesus in distressing disguise will speak hope while some of us will also have walked by them so long that when they are walking in fullness and healed, we'll say, I don't even know you. Who's that dude who's been hanging out with us? That's what happened. You not, I want us to let that settle in our spirit. This isn't an ethereal study of the presence of God. This is a reality study that we walk day in and day out around people who we don't even see them. Some of them have cardboard signs and some of them are in the cubicle next to us. They are on the, they're at the next door over or they are driving down the road waving at us because we're not a good driver. And they're just kind of looking, going, I would love to see Jesus. And some of us are needing to say, well, when I walk out into this world, and when I walk into all of the questions, and I walk into all of the political debate, and I walk into all of the loss of life, and I walk into all of the lives that matter, I just want to be able to answer this question, God, can I see you in Christ in distressing disguise and bring hope into the middle of it? That's the passion of my heart as we move as a church, and as we ask God for his presence and his reality. Jesus healed him because he knew him. People ignored him. And I think the main place, and if you could end with me here, and I want to read two sentences. The main place that I gain a heart of truth as I read the book of John several times in the last few weeks was in the ninth chapter, verse 1. God, where are you at work around me, and how do I get in on this? As Jesus was walking along. It's not a great mystery. As you go along, God is consistently and constantly at work around you. And he is moving among his body of believers, his people who are pursuing his faith, face in such a manner that we might in creativity and passion of heart experience the presence and the reality of God. Here's what I would want you to know as you go along and it's coming up on the screen understanding what god is about to do where you are is far more important than telling god what you want to do for him and he's doing a lot around you and can i just go back to the words of jesus and as you walk with him there will be far more amazing things that he will do i close with this sentence what's the work of god john artberg said this i love john artberg It is simply to see what Jesus would see if he were here looking through my eyes and to respond as he would respond. How do I get in on your work, God? How do I get in? I want to see your presence. We want to hear your kingdom come. I know our pastor seems a little fired up about this. Maybe I can get fired up. No, no. As you go along, might you see Jesus in distressing disguise and to be able to respond as Jesus would respond with grace, with clarity, with passion for the gospel of our living God, and with the hope for those that you engage. That would be beautiful. May we live as his people for his glory as we go along. And oh God, that the world would take notice. I I simply want to close this sermon praying scripture over us. In Ephesians, the first chapter, I believe this will be on the screen. I don't know if you're good with praying with your eyes open. I think it's okay. You can join with me, but I just want to pray that as we go along, we will begin to see and experience the presence of God. And and Paul, as he prayed for his church, began to pray 
in this manner. I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. You would see Jesus in distressing disguise. And here's why. In order that you could know the hope to which he has called you, no one knows you like Jesus. The riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for those of us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. May that power be alive in us. Jesus, we're going to sing a song to you. We're going to have a few moments, Lord, to turn our hearts toward you.